Welcome to the Forecast with Gary Lezak podcast. It's great to be here. My life partner, Andy Carraway, 25 years together. Well, our 25th anniversary is coming up. We got a lot to talk about. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. All right. But first of all, hey, listen, this is the forecast of, with Gary Lezak, and I'm going to take you through this third episode. We're going to talk about addiction, alcoholism, and the Chiefs, a little bit of weather 2020. But right now, I want you to like this podcast, and on YouTube, please subscribe. So push that subscribe button. And if you want to be a sponsor, go, go to Sandy at 810WHB.com. Sandy at 810WHB.com. And please let us know. We do have a great sponsor, Results Personal Fitness. You want to get your results? <laughs> That's right. Uh, David Schlossman at Results. It's 135th and Metcalf. And they have a great system there, personal trainers. I've been working there for how long, working out there? 20 20 years. 20 wow. years. So David keeps me in, in shape. And so thank you very much. Once again, Results Personal Fitness. And if you want to be a sponsor, once again, contact Sandy at 810WHB.com. We're going to get to the topic of the day in just a minute. We're going to finish with the Denver Broncos versus Chiefs game at Arrowhead on January 1st, New Year's Day. Uh, we also are going to talk about Cincinnati-Buffalo at the very end. Oh, boy, that could be an epic game on Monday Night Football. But first, I want to talk to you today about Weather 2020, the LRC, Buffalo, New York, just had over 100 inches of snow. Over 30 people were killed. 40 people were killed there. Uh, in Buffalo, what happened? Well, the LRC set up this season in November. It started snowing there. Now they're up to over 100 inches of snow. And Buffalo is the center of the storm systems for going into 2023. And if you want to know what's going to happen in 2023 for the next few months, Weather 2020 has a solution. Go to weather2020.substack.com and you can be a customer there, but this pattern is absolutely fascinating. But let's get to the topic of the day. While Andy sits here, uh, you know, we've been together a long time and we went through a life experience. And, you know, addiction, I didn't know a lot about. I've learned a lot. You've learned a lot. Mm -hmm. And alcoholism. And let's go back to five years ago, five, five or so years ago. And Tell us a little bit of your life story, and because it, it, it's something to celebrate. Before you go even further, one more thing before you say anything. Congratulations. Thank you. On January 5th, mm-hmm. 54 months. Wow. How does that feel? 54 months without one drink. Um, it's an accomplishment, but it's also something you don't take for granted and one of the sayings we have in the community of addiction and alcoholism is one day at a time so uh you know i try not to get too caught up on the number of months or years is it truly one day at a time for you it can be um in the community um and when i say the word community i'm referring to the recovery community um typically people that attend 12-step meetings um, yeah, you know, you'll talk to people who have been sober for like 30 years and, and you'll ask them, well, how, how do you do it? And they'll say one day at a time. Um, so it can be, uh, I think the further you get into your sobriety, the, the, your clean time, um, the, the more you feel like, okay, well, it's not one day at a time. 
um, in early sobriety, you know, some people will say, yeah, it's definitely one day at a time. I mean, like, let me get through this 24 hour period without using. And for some people, it's like one hour at a time, one minute at a time, you know, because uh, early, early sobriety can be really challenging for a lot of folks. So go back to, again, uh, 2017. I know what happened Halloween night and what happened the next day on November 1st. But leading up to that, the years leading up to that, uh, do you remember that time? Because it's probably a little fuzzy for you. Uh, tell us your experience with leading up to that moment where uh, I ended up taking you to the hospital. Well, um, one of the things that we say um, is that the disease, and we do refer to it as a disease, uh, not everybody's comfortable with that terminology, um, but in the addiction science field, it's very much considered a disease nowadays. Um, in fact, it's called a brain disease because the, the disease obviously centers in the mind. Um, so in the disease or in the recovery community, we talk about it being progressive, and that was very much the case for me. I, uh, in my 30s, uh, you know, a couple of different life things happened where I was kind of in between careers and I had some downtime and, um, I've always, I've always been an alcoholic. Um, I just haven't practiced <laughs> my alcoholism <laughs> as much as I started to in the third, in my thirties. I mean, after looking back at my life trajectory, I realized I've never had a healthy relationship with alcohol, but anyway, in my thirties, uh, it just kind of started where it was like two or three nights and three or four, and then four, five, five, six. And then at some point, you know, I crossed this threshold where it was like, I'm drinking every night. Um, and then, then the amount of time in, in a given 24 hour period that I was drinking increased. And, you know, it, and it was that way for years, you know, five plus years, I think, uh, we figured at least that I never took one evening off without drinking, um, you know, hard liquor, which in my case is what really got me. Um, and so, yeah, leading up until October 31st, 2017, uh, especially that last year, my body started to really uh, shut down because of what I was doing to it, uh, specifically my liver. And uh, like you said, on October 31st, uh, you all came down and and had an intervention of sorts and convinced me uh, begrudgingly, unfortunately, to go to the hospital the next day. So I did. And, uh, well, um, yeah. that's the next part of the story. Yeah, so so leading up to that, those uh, two years leading up to that, did you notice you were getting sick? Were you in denial? What, do you, you didn't acknowledge that you might be an alcoholic. I remember asking you, I said, Andy, the doctor says that if you drink tomorrow, you might be in a coma. So, um, and and then you still ended up drinking, and fortunately, you didn't go into a coma, but it was awfully close. You were literally that close to death. Your near death experience was different than others. Tell us about that. Well, I, I want to say this. Um, you know, I work in the field of recovery now. Um, I'm lucky enough to get that opportunity. So I spend uh, uh, quite a bit of time of studying the um, the field of addiction and. I, uh, this is something that I think people don't realize is that when a person's in their active addiction, they are 
part of the diseases they're unable to see so how far gone they are. Um, their ability to recognize the signs and symptoms that somebody who's with fresh eyes can say, hey, you know, listen, you're not eating anymore. You can't hold down food, which was definitely part of my story. Um, you know, you would think that I, being relatively intelligent, would be like, wait a second, this is really wrong. But I was so much in my disease, I wasn't able to make that connection. Like, hey, you're not able to hold down food because you can't stop drinking. And maybe you should take a night off. But, you know, at that point for me personally, it was unfathomable. I could not imagine going to sleep sober or not, you know, having a drink, you know, at some point the next day. Right. So uh, do you think this stems back from when you were a child? You go back to your childhood years and your teens and 20s. Um, were there signs of this at the beginning? It, 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 how, does, how does this work? You know, you're, you're now an expert at alcoholism. <laughs> and uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I don't know about expert, but uh, like I said, I spend a lot of time thinking and working with people who are also in recovery. I, uh, like I said, I don't think I ever had a healthy relationship with alcohol. Um, you know, I remember pretty well the first time I got relatively buzzed slash drunk. And I remember lighting up on the inside and feeling warm and and you'll hear this experience with a lot of alcoholics who will say, you know, when they had that first intoxicated experience, it was like, ah, this is what I'm supposed to be feeling like. And that does really, for a lot of us, uh, you know, that that is an experience that we share is that when we first engage with alcohol, that it hit our, our brain and our system in a way that's different than non-alcoholics. So, yeah, I drank throughout in my entire life, obviously, until the last five years. And and whenever I've drank alcohol, I've never drank to, like, have one or two <laughs> and then be done. That's, you know, in, in alcoholic circles um, in meetings, you'll hear people say, nope, once it's on, it's on, and I'm going until I either pass out or whatever, but um, I don't, you know, one is too much and a thousand's never enough. That's one of our sayings. Wow. So let's let's compare someone like you that has that situation uh, and, and someone like me. Um, you know, you've seen me when I do occasionally have a drink once in a while. Um, what is the difference? Because, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. So are there, is there a big difference there? Yeah. I mean, uh, brain chemistry. Um, and some people will even think it's not just even in the brain, it's in the body. Um, something about how our bodies, that is alcoholics, um, bodies and brains respond to the chemical, um, alcohol. And so when you or the average person, what we call the normal drinker, um, has, um, alcohol in this, their system, you know, they'll have one, maybe two and, you know, alcohol is you know, it's toxic, you know, in large amounts and sort of kind of even a poison. And so at some point, the non-alcoholic drinker, some are like, okay, I've had enough, you know, I don't want to get too drunk or, you know, I don't want to feel bad tomorrow where, you know, the, the, the alcoholic drinker is like, no, I want more. I like this and I want to keep feeling that way. 
Um, so that's the difference. Now, you know, there's variations. You know, there's people that can drink kind of hard who will drink maybe sometimes in a way that looks alcoholic, but those are the people sometimes who could say, all right, you know, this is getting out of control. I got to stop. I need to take a month off. It's dry January. <laughs> Where the alcoholics said, yeah, no. So you, you just said dry January. A lot of people right now, here it is. Happy New Year, everybody. It's 2023 coming up. And your 54-month time is January 5th. And uh, a lot of people do do dry January. Uh, what do you say to those people? They're not all alcoholics, are they? Or no. could they be? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we, we try to emphasize is that no one is trying to, you know, say that someone else is an alcoholic. That's not ever a healthy thing for us to go around saying, you're an alcoholic. I mean, every person who, whether it be alcoholism or addiction, has to make that decision and determine that for themselves. So, but yeah, there's definitely people who maybe drink hard and uh, the holidays were especially, you know, heavy with alcohol consumption as, you know, that happens around that time of year. And they're like, okay, it's January, I'm going to cut it out. And, you know, they might be a little uncomfortable, you know, going to dinner or not being able to have a, a drink when they get home from work or a glass of wine. But, you know, it, it, given enough motivation, the, the non-alcoholic drinker is usually successful. Wow. <laughs> that that is incredible. So, so what um, what is the solution? You 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 have worked with people. You have you know what they call a sponsor and sponsees. I mean, you can talk to that. Um, you are impacting people's lives in a really positive way now. Um, how does that feel? And and what is a way to help uh, the alcoholic out there? What are the best ways? Well, first of all, the alcoholic or addict, you know, we talk a lot about alcoholism because that's a lot of my story, but, you know, I have some drug history, but um, so the alcoholic addict, um, first of all, they have to decide they want the help. And until they have that frame of mind that for whatever reason, their life has become what we call powerless and, uh, and unmanageable, um, until they have that moment um, of surrender, which is a word we use, um, which like lots of people don't like that word, but uh, it's super important in recovery that we say, okay, this has gotten out of control and I need help. So that's the first And that's step. what surrender means? Yes. And, and that, you know, we sometimes say we surrender to win, you know, because we're not going to get the help until we uh, admit, that we're, admit, admit that we're beaten um, I, sometimes you'll hear people say, I'm fighting alcoholism. No, you know, if, you, if you're in full-blown alcoholism, al alcohol is one. So we don't kind of give up the fight in that sense, which I know sometimes sounds weird to people. Um, but then you start reaching out. Um, and obviously one of the places that people go um, most often is 12-step programs, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, um, depending on if they're you know, primarily a drug user uh, not necessarily an alcoholic. They'll go to Narcotics Anonymous, and then people who primarily identify as alcoholics, um, they may have some drug story. Um, and then there's people that kind of just feel more comfortable in one of the other programs. But that's where, you, that's where a lot of us go to get successful because um, there's a lot of reasons that, that those programs work, but probably one of the most important ones is that there's camaraderie. 
that you're sitting around with people who get it, who are in who are in the same shoes you're in or have been there. And so you identify with one another and that's incredibly powerful when somebody's um, in early recovery or in recovery in general, because it's uh, harder to go out and drink when you have a lot of support on a regular basis. If you're isolated, you don't have a lot of support, um, drinking becomes a more viable option. So go through your 54 months here now. The first few weeks, I remember you saying, I'm Andy alcoholic. Now you say, I am an alcoholic. There was a transition where you finally admitted that you were. Was that difficult for you? Yeah. I mean, and this is not true of everybody, but, um, you know, even before I got so sick and died, um, you know. Almost died. Well, <laughs> almost died. Well, you know, at some point it kind of felt. <laughs> I, I, um, I feel like that. I was in a state of uh, the alcohol ha had taken over um, to the point where I wasn't able to um, have any realization. And so if you would have asked me if I was an alcoholic at that moment in time, I would have had no ability to recognize my problem and was in complete denial. And, you know, I had some medical professionals trying to um, tell me, uh, including a doctor who felt my, uh, my liver distended and told me I was an alcoholic. And I promptly told him he didn't understand me. You kept that from me, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's something we do as alcoholics is we hide our disease and some of us get really crafty, um, and manipulative at, at deceiving others. Because again, the last thing, uh, most, most of us want to do is be called out on our drinking. I know. I would say, Hey, uh, how did your, you, you'd get your, your physical and you get your blood test. And I'd say, well, how were your liver enzymes? How did the blood test come out? And you'd say, Oh, they're fine. You know, the, we call that minimization. Yeah, <laughs> an alcoholic and they were not fine. No, you're like, Oh, they're fine. Yeah. Doctor says I double normal. Okay. Yeah. Or more, more quite honestly. Um, but yeah, so when you first, and this is, again, this is not the same for everybody, but I'm just speaking generally. A lot of us, when we first are coming to confront the, the, the diagnosis of alcoholism, we're not a big fan of saying, I'm an alcoholic and, you know, proclaiming it. So I would, and you know, part of my story is I was stubborn earlier and I kind of fought a lot of this stuff. And so, yeah, at first I was like, Andy, alcoholic, like sort of begrudgingly. And then as time goes on and I really realized the, the, you know, the, what I was going through and what, what it's really had happened to me. I'm like, okay, obviously I'm an alcoholic. So, but that's, yeah, for some people that's, that's a hard pill to swallow and hard words to utter. And you've been around people that are in your groups and in your support groups uh, through AAs you've talked about and, and uh, you've been a sponsor. You've worked with, with a lot of people now and, uh, it comes down to, like you said earlier, you have to want to stop drinking, first of all, right? Mm. Then it's challenging because it's day by day because life is hard, right? Um, so tell us about that difficulty for, for most people and, and how this is, this is a mental disease. It is, it's not, it, I know it can be embarrassing, right? But it, it, it really is a mental disease. Can you talk to that? Yeah, I mean, you asked a couple of questions there. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as the disease is concerned, 
Um, again, like I said, uh, nowadays people refer to it kind of as a brain disease. Um, uh, it's referred to as like substance use disorders. And there's some criteria that one has to meet to, to be diagnosed with that um, medically. Um, alcoholic in itself is not a medical term, but it's generally, you know, widely accepted and understood what alcoholism looks like. Um, as far as getting the support that you need um, to be successful in um, maintaining sobriety, it comes in a variety of forms. Um, again, I'm going to tout the uh, importance of camaraderie, having people that you're in constant, well, not constant, but consistent communication with about um, your, your, you know, your, your situation. Um, Cause it's important to feel like we're being heard and understood. Um, there's a lot of stigma still related to the, you know, condition disease of alcoholism. And so um, some people, we have to battle that. There's, I, I found that there's a lot of misunderstanding um, about um, alcoholism and addiction. You know, people still see it as some sort of a moral failing or some sort of um, misbehavior on the part of the alcoholic addict and, um, I'm definitely um, advocate of people understanding that it's not a moral failing or misbehavior. It's somebody that's in their their disease, and so when they decide to get sober, they you know go to meetings or or they find other addict alcoholics to work with. Um, sometimes that means meeting for coffee, or um, actually there is you know there's things called sponsors and sponsees, and that's when. when Two alcoholics or addicts work together to do what we call step work and, and just, you know, to be an additional support, possibly just that. So, um, and then, you know, if, if, if you are in the 12-step programs, there's a spiritual component to it all. Um, and that's one of the um, big, big deals in, in that recovery community is figuring out what your spiritual connection is and, and how that might assist you in uh, getting and staying sober, um, not religious. <laughs> we always make that distinction. Um, uh, the the twelve step communities are not religious programs or organizations. They are spiritual in nature, which leaves a lot more room for um, people to be included. Right. So, talk to the family that might have uh, their son or daughter that they they're dealing with potential of them being an alcoholic and what kind of support does the family have uh, for this family member? Well, I mean, and again, so that's one of the most challenging parts of this uh, situation is that there's misunderstanding on the family's part. There's misunderstanding on the addict alcoholics part part. I mean, there, there's a, stigma obviously attached to it and that's one of the reasons that you know we don't want to in early stages even consider ourselves alcoholics and then a lot of us don't understand what's been going on what what has happened to our brains and bodies so it's hard for us to even begin to know where to help where to go to help our family members and or loved ones or close friends um so but if somebody's in the program or in, you know, 12-step programs, they can point them to there's uh, adjoining programs um, that are for just for family members um, of the alcoholic addict or loved ones. Al-Anon. 
is one of the programs that's out there um, specifically for people who are family members of alcoholics. So there's that. Um, but I'm really, really in, in encourage people who are confronting, you know, that, that realization that they have this problem is that they educate themselves. And the thing that I always tell people is we have to advocate for ourselves because, um, getting and staying clean or sober is really hard and we need a lot of support and people because of shame or stigma are usually not willing to ask for that support. And that makes the chances of success really challenging. Do you feel like you've had a good support group? Oh, absolutely. I've been incredibly blessed. I mean, obviously having you has been maybe the most essential thing um, next to my involvement with my 12-step program. Um, And uh, I have a great sponsor now who's just been instrumental in so many ways to my remaining sober. And, you know, I've seen, I've sought professional help for myself. And I, and I kind of, and then obviously I attend meetings and I lead meetings and I work with other alcoholics. So that's all part of my plan that I have to use to stay sober. Cause I'm a, like I said, I'm a sick alcoholic, you know, <laughs> you give me uh, <laughs> a, a couple holes in my game, you know, you know, it's, it, it can be yeah. dangerous. So I need yeah. all the help I can get. So here it is. It's very interesting. What Andy just said is I'm a sick alcoholic and I, I mean, I, I, I understand that. And by being a sick alcoholic, it's a mental disease. With cancer, you can take the x-ray, you can see the cancer. With a mental disease, it's harder to see, right? So it makes it difficult for the family and for the person going through it to understand and accept that I'm a sick individual and I'm seeking help, I'm getting help, and you have come such a long way. Yeah, well, I want to say about, you know, when I say sick alcoholic, that's me kind of using some self-deprecating uh, language, <laughs> but you know, I almost died. I almost lost, you know, my life, my liver failed. And you know, a, a sane person <laughs> would say, I'm never touching a drop of alcohol again. That's, you know, that almost took my life. Um, an alcoholic goes, well, maybe, maybe next, know, <laughs> maybe I can do it. There's soon. moments like, you know, the, this like, you know, insane thought was like, right man, I'd sure like to have a drink again. Right. And that's part of the disease is that we're, yeah. so that's why we need all the help. We and can I get. always say this, and I know it's different than an alcoholic brain versus mine. Um, you know, I tell people, try, try to stop drinking yourself. A lot of you like to have that glass of wine. Just try to completely stop for a few weeks or a few days or a few months. It is very difficult for just the average person. So congratulations on four and a half years, 54 months coming up January 5th. I mean, how does that feel? Do you feel like that's an accomplishment? I mean, because I know what you thought in your thought process at one year and two years and three years and four years now. How does it feel? Well, like I said at the beginning, I mean, it, it's an accomplishment. You know, I'm coming up on five years alcohol-free. I've been around the program for about five years, <clears throat> a little over five years had a little blip in my um, sobriety there in terms of consuming some alcohol. Uh, so my clock started over, but you know, I'm looking at that five year mark right now. I'm not so much, I'm not concerned about where I am today, but I am kind of, for whatever reason, excited about that five year, five year mark. Like, yeah, so we man. should have a big celebration July 5th and go to Hawaii. No, <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. no, I, I just, 
I, you know, I don't want to celebrate, you know, anything like that just because I don't want to make these things a big right. deal. Um, because it is, you know, very still much one day, one at, day time. at a time. So, yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, uh, I, we could continue. There's like what, another 20 topics. So we'll have you back on early the forecast. I forecast great things for you. Oh, well, right? thank but you. This is the forecast podcast. Yeah, it's a, very uh yeah yeah right it's so, an appropriate name so what do you think about the denver broncos and the chiefs this weekend is that even going to be a game yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean denver's really struggling and i heard russell wilson's uh, getting a lot of uh flack so yeah is he, i don't is he hurt no he's gonna play okay well yeah so, I'm, but, I'm not super uh, yeah encouraged about it yeah well denver it's in kansas city it's new year's day and the Chiefs, remember, anybody can beat anybody on any given Sunday. Yeah. No, I'm surprised some of these teams that just have, like, poor records are still willing to go out there and play hard. Yeah, because so. this going to be a game, and then Houston ends up winning. You right. Know? So, I mean, yeah, I guess you're right. Nothing. Nothing's we'll see. So. But hopefully the Chiefs take care of business. And then Cincinnati on Monday night football goes up against Buffalo. You have three big quarterbacks that the Chiefs have to deal with. Justin Herbert of the Chargers, Los Angeles Chargers. Joe Burrow of Cincinnati, Josh Allen of Buffalo. Three J's, okay? And the Chiefs are probably going to be playing one of them, hopefully at Arrowhead, because if Cincinnati beats Buffalo, then the Chiefs, if they win their first playoff game, would be at home for the fifth straight year, which is unprecedented. Yeah, I mean, I don't put a whole lot of stock in that. I mean, yeah. I I just think that no matter where they are, they're going to have to play good because right. I think that those yeah, teams those teams are, are good, all challenging yeah. Uh, yeah. opponents. Comes down to breaks and coaching and and Patrick Mahomes being Magic Mahomes. So <laughs> so, but anyway, I, I'm I'm expecting Cincinnati to come through with a big victory against Buffalo. So thank you. Look at that, you're doing little sports today. Yeah, yeah, I watch a little. <laughs> oh, we could go into that story later, but thank you to Andy Caraway for joining us today on the forecast with Gary Lezak. Uh, remember, you can uh, sponsor uh, this podcast. Contact Sandy at 810WHB.com. Like us on the podcast and make sure you subscribe on the YouTube channel. And we'll keep you updated as we go through the next few uh, weeks. Happy New Year. Yeah. Happy Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. And uh, we'll have more in 2023. This is The Forecast. And remember, it's sponsored by Results Personal Fitness, 135th and Metcalf, right next to the in-house. Go by and talk to David, Don, and the gang, and they'll get you in, and they do a great job. I'm meteorologist Gary Lezak with The Forecast. Have a great day.